Hello there! It's Friday, which means it's time once again for the best movie podcast ever, the only movie podcast to offer objective and hyperbole-free discussion of every movie in the known universe. I am your host, the podcaster with no name, Conrad, and with me as always, his mistake is confusing the size of his paycheck with the size of his talent, it's Anthony James. Ah, <laughs> uh, good night, good evening, good afternoon. Sure, we didn't say good morning. Anyone who's in the morning at the moment, get fucked. Uh, well, Conrad was a true fan of the Truman Show. Um, you know, there's not many of us out there, but uh, morning is not mentioned in that. It's- good afternoon, good evening, and good night is what I normally say. Uh, but I went because we're doing arrival this week. I went back. Oh, I Conrad. see. You've I- kind of you've treated the entire saying as a palindrome. And, yeah. uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and and flip reversed it. Fair enough. Uh, Just, you know. It's a it's you know it, it's a it's a an introduction that requires a pretty good knowledge of Jim Carrey movies, and I've been found out, <laughs> frankly. There, yeah. um, I will say as well uh, that uh, the little the little jape at the beginning is not a jab at Anthony James. We'll circle back to that. It will make sense in time. Obviously, Anthony has enormous talent as well as an, an enormous paycheck. Um, this week on the best movie podcast ever. Amy Adams is going to be talking to them their aliens, uh, which should yep. give Aptopods. probably most of you a clue as to what movie we're going to be talking about. It's in the title. Mm-hmm. It's not a secret. Um, <laughs> Brendan Fraser is back, baby. Stringer Bell is going to be playing a pink, punchy echidna. And speaking of returns, Back to the Feature is going to be making a glorious comeback. So I say, let's talk about some gosh darn movies. What do you think, Anthony? Let's do it. Movies, specifically those featuring, uh, nay, starring Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I am going to be honest, once again, I've been beaten to the punch on this by the AV Club. I did come up with this joke, but when I was re- researching it to see uh, what was actually going on in Brendan Fraser's life in the last couple of weeks, I was uh, first stunned and then heartbroken to realise that they had already coined the term Renaissance. Uh, so <laughs> unfortunately I've got to take my hat off to the AV club on this one I'm still going to mention the joke because I want some credit but it was theirs so Brendan Fraser let's get this out of the way first where do you yeah. stand on the big B man uh, Anthony I, I well I, I it's one of those things these days with these people who haven't been around in the public eye for a long time I'm afraid to say that I like him <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I don't really know him personally but but I I'll tell you what, Bedazzled is a fantastic movie. Yep. Uh, obviously, he had like The Mummy, George of the Jungle. Bedazzled is the standout for me. I was a big fan of him back in the day. Monkey Bones, another one, another another three-pointer from downtown. That's <laughs> a strange, strange film, to be honest with you. There was, um, there was a Brendan Fraser movie where he played a villain and he, he trapped a woman, a woman in a burning cabin at the end and covered himself in red paint and stalked her. And I caught it on late-night British television probably about 20 years ago. I've got no idea what movie that is, but that's my favourite Brendan Fraser movie. <laughs> A bit of a change of pace from George of the Jungle, yes. that's for sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> rare to see Brendan Fraser as a, as a murderous villain, but he seemed to do a good job in that one. Um, I, obviously, the Mummy, that's great, and I know what you mean. We don't want to he- like we don't want to get into hero worship or fandom on this on this podcast. Uh, we should be skeptical of anyone with lots of money and power because most of the time they're bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> by all accounts, Brendan Fraser seems like a, a, a nice enough guy, um, and he was recently announced as cast in uh martin scorsese's upcoming killers of the flower oh, yeah. moon uh and he's also starring in darren aronofsky's the whale um 
month, which is uh, coming out fairly soon, I think. So, for whatever reason, uh, he has catapulted mm. back into the limelight, um, and everyone was just just loved to see him, loved to see him. Um, and there was a, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a video, uh, I think it was like a Zoom meeting or something he had with oh, fans, yeah. doing the rounds where he got all choked up because someone said, you know, <laughs> that people were glad to have him back. Uh, I don't actually think his reaction was quite as emotional as all the headlines led it to led us to believe. Uh, it, no, no. There's a few things that my little skeptical brain's going at there. One is, like, fine, it was a nice little moment. Yeah. Yes, he was somewhat emotional. Nowhere near as emotional as it led it to believe. But also, this is the thing that annoyed me, that woman does not speak for the internet. Like, no. she, said, she, she said the internet's rooting for you. Like, I would... Can you imagine... Can you imagine the ego on this woman to this assume that she's speaking for the whole internet? Yeah. What she means is one random little message board that she yeah. frequents is rooting for her. Her, you know? her and the 20 Brendan Fraser <laughs> super fans that she knows personally are rooting for him. And, you know, fair enough. They might well be. But I did get, you know, I did get a, a sense that people were really leaning into this, this kind of like comeback story. And I guess, you know, for those who don't know, Brendan Fraser essentially um, took some time away from leading roles after the, I guess, the third Mummy movie. So that would have been what, like 2005, 2004 ish? Something like that. Um, mm -hmm. To get a lot of surgery because he'd done a lot of stunt work and needed a lot of surgeries. Um, and then he ended up in. You know, slightly more uh, serious tonally he ended up actually getting sexually assaulted by the former president of the HFPA uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association Philip Burke um, which left him kind of fearing that he'd been blacklisted from Hollywood and he ended up just kind of taking a step back and focusing on he, he was still working which is actually I think part mm -hmm. of what I find a little bit patronising about this. Like, he was still in TV. He still was in yeah. movies. He just wasn't really a leading man anymore because, you know, he got older um, and, you know, maybe maybe didn't have those uh, Hollywood leading man looks anymore. And, and to be honest, who among us? You know, I'm not criticising him for getting older. Um, <laughs> but uh, but be that as it may, he is back in a big way and it's nice to, nice to see him. Nice to have someone who seems like a decent bloke knocking around Hollywood again. God knows we could do with more of them. Um, now, yeah. speaking of guys who seem good in Hollywood, but who I remain skeptical of because they they seem so nice that there must be something up with them. Uh, Taika Waititi has apparently finished the story for his proposed Star Wars movie. Um, oh, now he's he very explicitly has said he's finished the story it's not a script there's no yeah, there's no yeah, casting yeah. ideas we're still years away from seeing this uh but when asked about it he said that it feels very him and um i'm looking forward to that frankly even as someone who doesn't really care that much about most new star wars stuff um taika watiti makes stuff that i very much enjoy yeah i, I know i know exactly what you mean um if we've talked a little bit about it before where like it might get to the point where he's sort of a bit diluted because he's doing so much. Having said that, I'm still very uh, excited about it. I did I did like his contribution to the Mandalorian season yeah. uh, series. I think he did a good job in his direct directing there. So I'm I'm looking forward to it to be honest with you. And in terms of him being like you know a, seeming too nice in real life, uh, you know I I I I'm quite a nice guy. You're quite a nice guy, Conrad. I would hate people to uh, think that about us. I think people you know anyone I've, who I've talked to. 
anywhere about about this has has have sort of seen that I think we're genuine people. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I want people to assume of us. I'm gonna assume of them. I assume Taka Waititi is a lovely man. I the moment that we start making serious money off this channel and we start having like hundreds of thousands of fans. Stop trusting me. Don't trust me. That's my advice. <laughs> that's my advice to well, you. Well, that's never. Go- it's never going to happen. So you don't <laughs> ever have to stop trusting us. Well, yeah. There you go. So I, I, I've, I've, I've absolutely made my bed there. But I, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anyway. Because either way, I'm going to make out like a bandit. I'm either going to be rich or I'm going to be loved. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a question, Anthony, and this is perhaps going to expose both of our... Well, actually, you probably know a bit more about Star Wars than I do, but it's certainly going to expose my lack of knowledge about the the wider Star Wars universe. Is there a New Zealand equivalent in Star Wars? Um, is it Bespin? Uh, <laughs> that- you mean like a planet? Well, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> All I want to know is how is Reese Darby, a.k.a. Murray from Flight of Concords, going to make it into oh. this Taika Waititi movie? He, he can just, he can, he's just going to pop in oh, like, straight in. That's my there. dream. I just Get Murray in there somewhere. That's all I'm asking for, Taika. I'm on my knees. Well, what, this is what I'll say. If he was like some character who had a helmet on like Darth Vader or like Kylo Ren, it, it will not be as surprising. Like, if he took his helmet off and it was it was Murray... It would that would be less surprising than when Adam Driver took it off and he was just like this dweeby guy. Like, that was actually really surprising. So Murray would actually be not as surprising as that, to be honest. No, that's true. Um, and as as great as Adam Driver was in those movies, one of the, one of the, the the big kind of standout performances in those movies, I think we can all agree that uh, Reese Darby would have made a better Kylo Ren than Adam Driver. <laughs> he would have made a better Ray Skywalker as well, to be honest. Like just. He would make it better, anything. Yeah, just like, put Reese Darby in movies. All right, he's very funny. We should he should be in more things. Um, yeah. Okay, so th- speaking of funny things, this I don't think this character is going to be funny in the slightest. I think he's he's going to be um, earnestly edgy, which is very much what I come for, and that is uh, the exciting news for for all the uh, for all the Sonic heads out there that Idris Elba has been cast as Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog two. Um, Anthony, I heard about this. I heard about this. How, how excited hell? are you about this one? So I assume it just means his voice is cast. Yes. Can you imagine? He's just like it's, he's just himself, yeah. like next to Sonic, with just like uh, big white gloves with spikes on them. That'd be I'm great. not gonna lie to you, Conrad. I don't think. Now we were talking last last week uh, in our free guy video about like the the casting of Pikachu's voice. I honestly. Very rarely in my life have I got excited over a voice casting, mm. no matter how famous the person is. I I would go and watch an animated film or something like Sonic. I wouldn't care who's doing the voice of the thing. If it sounds good, it sounds good. A vo- Idris Elba's voice being in the film is not going to make me want to see a movie. Well, all I'm going to say is that as someone who is currently re-watching The Wire, I am very much in an Idris Elba kind of mood at the moment. And as soon as I saw this, I was like, <laughs> I went from, I don't really care about this movie, even as someone who kind of jokingly still loves Sonic, uh, to I'm 100% going to see this movie in the cinema. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that wasn't meant as a slide on Idris Elba. I'm saying like... It's out there now. You've said it. You've you, said it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, you, but I mean, you tell me anyone like is going to be the voice of this. I'm not going to care. Like, if it is an off-the-wall casting like Danny DeVito yeah. is going to be Pikachu, well, then I'm going to care <laughs> well, yeah. What, what if what if they got Robert De Niro to play Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> yeah, then I'm interested because it's off the wall. Whereas yeah. it's just like Idris Elba is not someone who I think has a really wacky or crazy voice, cool voice, but not a really wacky or crazy one. Yeah. So 
so when I think of Knuckles having that voice, I'm not thinking that's gonna be weird. Whereas whereas if it was like uh was that guy called Gilbert Godfrey or something? That if it was that guy then that would be funny. Gilbert Godfrey you know? should be in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I, I, <laughs> he should br- bring his Iago energy to uh, to Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog, but with I'm going to say 50 percent more cursing um, because yeah. he has yeah, yeah, a yeah. filthy mouth. Um, well, there you go, Ben Schwartz. You know my li- my my phone is always like ready for your call if you want me to try and hook you up with uh, Gilbert Godfrey. I don't actually know Gilbert Godfrey to be honest. I don't know why he'd phone me, but I, I, I you know I'd enjoy some kind of finder's fee for proposing that well, idea it was our idea isn't it so that's our intellectual yeah. property now yeah, yeah. gilbert godfrey as knuckles is our intellectual yeah property. And, and and hollywood seems to function entirely on paying unnecessary middlemen so i'm very yeah, much yeah. very much here for the handout um okay <laughs> but there you go so sonic the hedgehog 2 look out for that in cinemas i think it's probably gonna be next year sometime um yeah. but that'll, that'll be fun now it is a it, it is th- about that time where we have to take a take a, a shift into a more competitive spirit on this podcast. <laughs> Last week, Anthony did uh, pretty well. I think it's fair, fair to say six, uh, uh, six out of on 10. a debut uh, comrades box office bonanza. But we're now gonna he's gonna have to shift gear again here because it's a welcome return. We've had a, a good week uh, for potentials here, and I found one that I liked. It is the welcome return, of course, of. Back to the feature. Yes, here we go. Yeah, I thought about what it was going to be because, uh, to be honest, I don't think you've seen this. I'll be surprised if you get it. But it, it's a good, it's a good movie. Well, it's not a good movie. You'll see. Doesn't count as two wrong in a row though, because we had the bonanza in the middle. That's all I'll say. Well, you got. I mean, you, you didn't get it wrong. You got six out of ten, which you know I, I consider. No, I mean the bonanza. The bonanza. I got six out of ten. But last week I got uh, the week before that I got zero oh, uh, that's in true. my in, in so this one if I got zero again doesn't count as two in yeah, a row it does, it no, broken yeah, up. no because the box office bonanza is like a Champions League match like that's yeah. the, the form is separate <laughs> like we yeah, can, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> we consider we have to consider that separately um, yeah. okay so welcome if you haven't listened to this before this is our exciting game show segment where i have selected a movie from 25 years ago today uh anthony will hear five clues and have five opportunities to guess the film each clue he hears will lower his score by one and please play along at home anthony are you ready for the return of back to the feature ready as i'll ever be okay here we go if you get uh, if you get this, this is going to be one of those ones where if you get it, I'll give you the money myself because I just don't think you've seen it. Must be an interesting one though because you wanted to include it even though you think I won't get it. Yes, yeah. It's more it's more for the dialogue, the the dialogue yeah, yeah. and the banter. <laughs> okay, clue the first. This is the third adaptation of the eighteen eighty six H. G. Wells novel of the same name. H. Okay. Uh... I don't know too many H.G. Wells novels' names, I'm going to be honest. Yep. Um, I'm fairly sure you know one. This is a bit of a trap, this 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 clue. Yeah. Um, okay, so the one I'm thinking of is the one that's in Back to the Future. So that's not going to be that one. I actually don't remember there being one reference to well, Back actually, to the Actually, was it H.G. Wells? No, Jules Verne was in that one. I don't remember what Jules Verne uh, book is in, is in Back to the Future either. I haven't seen Back to the Future for a while, but... Jules Verne. I can't remember the name of the book actually for Jules Verne, but it was something about like um, traveling through time or something. Anyway. Oh, it was at the time machine. Maybe just uh, anyway. 
Um, someone in the comments will tell us, I'm sure. I can tell you after uh, this, <laughs> H.G. Wells. Actually, so actually, I'm less familiar with H.G. Wells because I, I just mistake, mistook H.G. Wells with Jules Verne there. Um, okay, so I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to have a guess because we're on Brendan Fraser. Journey to the Center of the Earth. Uh, that is Jules uh, Jules Verne. Yeah, I knew that was Jules Verne. Yeah, that is not unfortunately not uh, the the name of this film. I will say at this point, um, H. G. Wells is most famous for the movie. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say he's the most famous for the for the the novella um, that I'm going to say here, but I actually don't know because I'm not an expert. But uh, I know him for the Time Machine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I, that's why Jules Verne and H. G. Wells were in my mind. Um, but Jules Verne has another famous book, which was mentioned, in, yeah, which was mentioned in Back to the Future, which Doc Brown really loved. Because uh, remember, at the end of Back to the Future Three, Doc Brown's kids were called Jules and Verne. <laughs> nice. That's one for you, Back to the Future fans out there who've actually seen Back to the Future Three more than once. It's the cowboy one. Why wouldn't you watch it a load of times? Come on. I don't like that movie. Wake up, Clue, Clue the second. Here we go. Bruce Willis was originally slated to play the lead before dropping out due to a divorce from then-wife Demi Moore, only to be replaced by Val Kilmer, who reportedly developed anger issues on set when he also began going through a, a divorce during filming. Oh, God. Okay. Doesn't really help me that much. Yeah, that's... that's. So this is like a poison chalice, this, uh, this, this script. Um, okay, did you say you like this film or not? Um, I don't like this version of it. I will say that much. But you like our version, okay. Yeah, there is a and, version of this film that's quite good. And this is the third version of it. Has there been a, a fourth version? No, I don't think so. If there is, I'm not aware of it. Okay, okay. Um, so he did the time machine. I'm just wondering, does that mean he's going to do most of his stuff that he does as sci-fi, sci potentially? Val Kilmer. Tombstone? <laughs> It is not Tombstone. It's a good shout. Val Kilmer was in that. Um, <laughs> if, if he'd have played Doc Holliday in this movie, it might have been a little bit better. Yeah, definitely earlier than 96 anyway as well. Like, uh, I actually don't know when Tombstone came out. It I think it was early 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Clue the Third. This is widely regarded as one of the most troubled productions in Hollywood history, uh, and it only made back 70% of its budget. Hmm. Hmm. The time machine? <laughs> no, that's not the right answer. Now, there have been a lot of uh, versions of the time machine made, so it's a fair it's a fair guess. Okay, clue the fourth. We're getting into the business end of the clues now, and hopefully these will help you guess a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here we go. I've actually cut this clue off, so I've got to try and remember what I was going to say at the end of this. I did write it, and now I've cut it off. Okay, clue the fourth. Marlon Brando agreed to play the titular mad scientist of this movie, in large part due to the original director Richard Stanley's knowledge of Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, on which Apocalypse Now was based, uh, and, oh, I remember, and his relationship to a very famous real African explorer, who I think was called like Henry Morton Stanley, off the top of my head. Um, but the the original director of this movie was basically related to someone who had actually been an explorer. Gotcha. Okay. I think my mind is in the right area now, I'm going to be honest with you. But I don't know. I still don't know. H.G. Wells... I don't know. I know the type of books he writes. I don't know all of his books, though. 
I, my mind for some reason is going somewhere like underwater or something like that. It's like it's like the story. It's it's kind of like the film The Abyss, maybe. Uh, I don't know exactly know what it is. Um, I don't know. Some forty one in too deep. Well, the music, the music video for Into Deep yeah. is yeah. your proposed solution. Uh, let me just check that with the uh, computer to see if that's what we have in the database. No, it's not some 41's Into Deep music video. Uh, yeah. It's a good guess. It's not right. Okay, final clue. Here we go. Now we're, we're the rubber's really meeting the road here on this one. If you, I don't, I don't know if this is going to help you that much, but it's an interesting fact nonetheless. Final clue. Fired after only three days of filming, director Richard Stanley was eventually able to sneak back on set, disguised as one of the many horrific Animal Man hybrids created in a lab, actually appearing in uh, the movie he was originally slated to direct as an extra. Animal Man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So there's a crazy professor, there's some Animal Men. Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. Marlon Brando. Yeah, Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. Uh, this is what I th- I must have heard of this movie. I'd be really surprised I, if you haven't heard of at least one of these, but they are quite cult, um, I will say. H.G. Wells. Did H.G. Wells create Cthulhu? <laughs> no. That was it. Who wrote Cthulhu? Who, who made Cthulhu? That was H.G. Lovecraft. That's right. That's Lovecraftian. That's right. Yeah. Why is everyone? It's funny how authors always choose the same initials, isn't it? Yeah, well, they lack originality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like George R. R. Martin must have just chosen the RR because of Tolkien. Like, hundred um, <laughs> yeah. percent. Uh, um, I, I don't actually know it. Um, I'm gonna go for the Dwayne Johnson vehicle Rampage. No, I think you've uh, you've suggested that as a uh, as a movie before. Uh, it, it is not. A, it will surprise those of you listening at home to to learn that H. G. Wells did not, in fact, pen the original uh, book upon which Rampage was based. This is, of course, uh, the third adaptation of the island of dr moreau uh, a kind of cr- oh, yes. creature feature the best one was made in the i think it was late 70s early 80s uh, which is uh, quite good fun but uh yeah a very troubled production and i do love the the uh the the fact that uh, richard stanley was fired from the production after only three days and then snuck back on as an extra <laughs> which well that that is hilarious uh, i actually i haven't i haven't seen this film as you know uh, i'm sure and um, i also I wouldn't have guessed the title in a million years, but I'm, def- I'm definitely familiar with the imagery of it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's 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 quite famous, um, and it's it's got um it, it's well certainly the one that I have actually seen. Um, it has very very good like costumes and practical effects, which uh, are a part of what has made it uh, such a popular kind of cult hit. But this one is, was not that. Is David Thewlis? Sorry, Conrad. Is David Thewlis? Uh, does he turn into a monster in this? Um, I can't remember who David Thewlis plays. If he's the guy who turns who uh, like turns up at the island, I believe he does turn into a monster at some point. Um, that's that's just how he got cast in Harry Potter three. I'm sure of it now. Yeah, hundred percent oh, yeah. sure. Of David Thewlis, he they're always just like, let me see you turn into a wolf man. That's what I need from you, <laughs> David. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter what it's in kitchen sink drama. They need they they want him to bust out the fangs and the and the hair. But there you go. So I mean, it is it is two losses in a row. It is two zeros in a row. 
we're getting into it's a slightly more barren stretch here because we're out of the summer blockbuster kind of stretch and we're getting into uh ones that are maybe slightly less popular and more culty but we'll continue to persevere and i'm confident that you'll find you'll find your footing and you'll get some more points yeah, it's also fun just to hear what the uh, people listening to the podcast, uh, where they got it, if they got it, if they knew it, yeah, in the comments absolutely. below. We've had people very, very cockily saying, oh, you know, I got it on the first clue or whatever. Let's see how you handle this now, right? Now we're into... <laughs> now we're into... Th- th- that was pre-season. We're into serious <laughs> stuff now. Yeah, right? yeah. This is the Premier League Exactly, now. yeah. Welcome to the big leagues. Um, but that was, of course, back to the feature. And we are now going to move swiftly from that to our main segment which is uh going to be discussing a movie that anthony and i uh, i think it's fair to say we're both pretty big fans of this movie oh yeah certainly big fans of the director um this week we have watched 2016's arrival it's a movie about aliens and maybe we're not so different from them after all no that's not really (laughs) that isn't really what this is about at all to be honest um it, it's you know yeah sorry go on i was just gonna say i wanted to start off talking about this film in this way just to set it up right set the tone this film for me obviously it's an amazing film we'll get into the details of it but this film for me is all of the actual work that happened in the film independence day before yeah. will smith came along and started blowing everything up yeah it's like all the scientists <laughs> did their work and then we don't usually see that usually we just see the star of the film coming in all the scientists are like we figured this out and then it's like and then will smith's like where's the nearest fighter plane i'm gonna kill well him, i think right? yeah it was before, it was when bill it was basically between um them showing up and then bill pullman firing a nuke at them this entire film <laughs> happened um yeah, yeah, yeah. and independence day is kind of like the dark reflection of what would have happened <laughs> of what could have potentially happened um, they didn't listen to the science exactly yeah well, I mean, they literally don't listen to any scientists. I, I actually, I, I guess, uh, I guess, what's his face? They listen. To, they listen to David. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, David. David. They listen to David. Um, who? But, but I mean, he's a hacker. He's not a proper. He's not like a linguist. He doesn't care about yeah. you know learning from the aliens. So, for those of you who don't know, um, this is essentially solving problems with words. The movie. Um, yeah. It is about um, a linguist called Dr. Louise Banks who is basically brought in by the army to uh, decipher the intent of an extraterrestrial visit because uh, there are 12 ships scattered around the globe and um, the various sites in various countries are all all trying to figure out what's actually going on here. Um, And it's... it's, I'm just going to say this now. I think given that, that the premise of that is fairly, fairly compelling, I think, but it's... But it, it could in a, in different hands and with a different script this could be a very very dry and very boring movie because it's literally yeah. analyzing language for the most part but i think the the way that this is put together um is is just so engaging from start to finish um and i think the first place that we that really we have to start here is is with amy adams's performance uh, because to me, the whole movie hinges on that. Um, what, what did you oh, yeah. What did you make of her performance in this? Oh, I think she did really, really well. Like, there's particular emotions. Like, with obviously, without getting into spoilers just yet, if you haven't watched this film, you need to watch it. It is a, it is amazing. But mm. if you want to hear us talk non spoilery first, there's moments in this film where Amy Amy Adams' performance has to appear a certain way, and then upon a rewatch. The same emotion, the same performance she's giving, it appears in a completely different way. Yes. Uh, and I think she 
skirts the line between two different things in a lot of scenes in this film really really well i think she does a great job yeah i, I think that's absolutely correct i, I think she the, the the sort of twist um it's not even really at the mm. end of this movie it's sort of two-thirds through the movie really that you kind of figure out the twist the Shy- shyamalan twist yeah the, the shyamalan twist um <laughs> that slumdog bastard uh <laughs> That's an always sunny quote, just to be clear. It's not me calling Shyamalan that. Um, that it, it kind of recontextualizes every every uh, every kind of emotion that you've seen from her character up until um, up until like that point in the movie, basically. And I think her performance, the fact that she's able to kind of give you that duality in her performance, is exceptional. I also think, and I, I'm always kind of like loath to comment on an actor's appearance particularly a, a, a female actor because they get so much of it but i think it's worth mentioning here that i think amy adams is one of those few actors or actresses who is like absolutely fearless when it comes to their appearance in movies i think there are very few uh actor actors male or female who are more willing to let themselves appear less than perfect for a role than she is and i, I think in this she comes her character comes into this movie as someone who we believe has suffered a traumatic loss in her in yeah. in her family. Uh, we know that she she or it's certainly presented as she had a daughter and now she does not have a daughter. And we know that her mm-hmm. daughter got sick, um, yeah. and she is very distant. She's very nervous, and the way she is shot is reflective of that. I think that she's she's shown to be quite pasty, quite unhealthy looking. Um, and and it's very brave of an uh, an actor to just allow that uh, to 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 be done to them, even if it supports the themes of the movie. And I think it's worth complimenting her for doing that, because as I say, I think there are probably a lot of actors and actresses in Hollywood who are like, no, 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 I still want to be, I still want to be presented as good looking in this. I don't want to, I don't want to to come off as anything less than that. Um, well, I think that's actually an interesting uh, point to make because I think. I think when you look at films which sort of are upper echelon, like this this film for me is like worthy of all the praise it gets. Maybe it should have got more attention at uh, award shows, but who gives a fuck about award shows? Um, but what separates this from like a different like sort of space thing, which is like really high production value, like Passengers, for example. Mm. Like pa- Passengers, we'll not get into the whole thing again, but pa- Passengers is like a film which presents itself as like perfect looking and the characters look perfect and like the whole actually the whole plot line is that he woke her up because she was perfect looking yeah uh and i think that even even though like obviously the script is not as good as this film but even in in the physical uh portrayal of the characters when you compare it to something like this like even just seeing a frame of this film like amy adams costume choices the makeup choices everything like that it just looks like they're taking it more seriously yeah absolutely you know I, mean? like, I, I think everything in this movie i think supports the the themes of the tone of the piece and I, I think a lot of that is is down to Denis Villeneuve's kind of control of of the movie that that, that he wants to make um and I think it's it's kind of staggering um that he was able to go from I think Sicario was the movie he made before this which I love I think yeah. I think Sicario is one of my favorite Denis Villeneuve movies um but he went from Sicario, which was very kind of like harshly shot. I mean, it was beautifully shot because it was Roger Deakins who, who was his cinematographer on that. But um, that movie looks a certain way and this movie looks completely different to that. And it's 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he he uh, basically picked the the director of photography uh, Bradford Young for this movie because of his like kind of sensibility leaning to more, more towards natural light, which I think serves uh, Amy Adams's character very well in that mm-hmm. it's very muted. A lot of this movie It's still beautiful to look at. I think you know the 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 exterior shots of the shell spaceship um you know it's, mm-hmm. it's establishing shots of landscapes are all still stunning but it's it's really i think where this movie really excels in its in its visual visual storytelling is in the moments where you get to be close to dr banks and see just the emotions kind of playing on her face and, and the way that the the way that she's shot like kind of supporting the emotions she's experiencing as a character um i really can't say mm-hmm. enough about how how much this movie does for me on like a visual level Oh yeah, no, it's lovely. Even even also the visuals of like when they actually enter the spaceship, mm. and like and and like the way that the gravity shifts, and the and the atmosphere is different, and like they have the big glass plate with the smoke behind it, and even the visual of of the heptapod. They they call the aliens heptapods because they have seven seven legs. Yeah. Um. It it just yeah. I I love the I, I know what you mean. I love the the image of this. Also, it is very important. I think in a film like this, where you're trying to portray the scientists having um sort of a connection with the i don't i don't really want to say a connection with the science but it's almost like that like they're portraying the scientists as being more empathetic towards the aliens from the offset um it's sort of i suppose what you have to do um whereas like the fears of the because they don't understand like the, the army men they don't understand what's going on as much as the scientists so naturally they have less empathy for the aliens because they're just afraid of what's going to happen whereas the scientists are like trying to figure out and try and converse with these aliens um and and it really really i i really think amy adams did a great job uh of like you know building the relationship mm. with with the aliens to the point where i did actually believe that she was forming some sort of relationship and understanding them by the you know by the end yeah i i, I definitely think that's the case and i think it would be remiss of us to talk about the visuals of this movie without talking about what I think are the two, well, I guess three most striking visual aspects of it, which is the alien script itself, um, mm-hmm. the, the the ship design, and the alien. So we'll go through those yeah. Uh, yeah, one yeah. by one. So I, I actually did some did some reading up on how they went uh, how they went about creating the alien script, and essentially it involved uh, they got an artist to design the script. Uh, they got two computer scientists to basically provide the basis of the analysis that uh, Banks herself does on the language itself yeah. to make sure that the analysis of the language makes sense. Uh, they worked in consultation with three McGill University linguists to make sure that uh, that the script actually made sense and that like it was um, it, it it kind of was conceivable as a script. Mm-hmm. And then the sound of the language was devised by a phonetics expert and a linguistics expert, a woman called Jessica Kuhn, who Amy Adams. Uh, also prepared for her role with so a huge amount of work went into making the script feel legitimate and yeah i mean i don't know how you feel about it i it's that kind of extra to me it's that kind of extra effort which really lends these movies like that extra kind of sheen of quality yeah because that's totally the kind of thing that they could have just thrown away and been like i don't know it's just some circles whatever like it, it, we don't need to make it a functional language because the 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 meat of the movie doesn't really uh, the, whether the script works or not doesn't really matter for the meat of the movie but the fact they went that extra mile to really mm-hmm. drill down on making a a, a something that's con- 
believable as a script to me it's just such a sign of quality and it, and it's clear that that attention to detail was present in pretty much every stage of the production of this i think yeah no i i, I even just the, the visual of them are striking I, I like the way that they describe a few things like there's a few things i love about the, about the script first thing is is that they describe that it's not like it's not the same as uh, a phonetic um script like no. we like our our script is the sounds that they make uh, whereas, whereas this is not the same. So they cannot speak this um, in the way that it's read. So when you put out the symbol, it's the whole sentence mm. in one go. It's, yeah. There's no start, there's no finish to the sentence. This symbol means this sort of notion. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really cool um, because it makes me... that like There's no auditory link to, to, the, to, the, to the script language. It also makes sense as well... Uh, it's, from a visual standpoint in the film, whenever um, Amy Adams' character decided to go down the writing route, because a few characters were questioning that, mm. it makes a whole, a whole lot of sense for like, I don't think this film would have been as good if they didn't have the script language and it was just all trying to decode what they were saying. I think that yeah. would have been harder for them to do. They needed to have the script there. Another thing is, is that I really, really loved the, the, the um, description by Amy Adams at a certain point in the film where she's describing to Forrest Whitaker's character uh, the army man, uh, the valor in charge. Why they need to put so much work into the the question that they ask? Yeah, like the and basics, going, like before they yeah. get to the the big question. The basics. So they, she writes the big question, like, "What is your purpose here?" And she goes through each part of the question and says, "Well, we need to teach them about nouns. We need to teach them about, uh, you know, pronouns. We need to teach." And basically goes through the whole thing and, and lays out why the why they need to teach them what they need to teach mm. them to understand the answer. And what I love about that moment is I, I listened to the writer of the script. Um, now, I can't actually, I can't remember if it was the writer of script or the writer of the uh, short story, but I'm pretty sure it's the writer of script, but someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Eric Kaiser, who's, yeah, I think, would, yeah, uh, who, wrote the screenplay. Yeah. yeah, 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 wrote the screenplay. But but basically, there was a moment where I think it was Denny uh, Villeneuve who actually asked the writer to explain um, to him about the... Uh, like why does it need to be this way why do we need to teach them this i think the devil i've wanted to know is i might be getting this story wrong but the essence of it is okay and basically the writer or the the linguistics expert or whoever it was was got up on a whiteboard and and did that scene that amy adams did mm. and explained it and said we need they need to know this they need to know this because of this and explained it and lectured Denis villeneuve and then after finishing that little lecture that they gave them and said this is what we need to do Denis villeneuve said well that needs to be in the movie yeah uh, so that's sort of the pro process about which that scene came about because they did such a good job of setting up why we are doing what we're doing. And from that point on, no, not once does the audience question, why, why are we putting so much work yeah. into figuring out these symbols? You know, not one, once after that. It's such a great little way to do yeah, it. You know? that, and, and I think the, 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 the screenplay, we'll probably come back to him because there's a, there's a lot to be said about him, but this was based off a short story written by Ted Chang um, and adapted yeah. by a guy called Eric Isera, uh who wrote the screenplay. And I think one of the hallmarks of a really good uh, screenplay, particularly when you're dealing with something that's potentially quite complicated, is it takes a complicated uh, subject and it makes it understandable for idiots like me who don't know anything about it, but never loses that sense of expertise. So Amy Adams never feels like she never feels like she's a dumbed down character. Um, yeah. She's absolutely believable as like a linguistics expert. But I, as an idiot audience member understand why she's doing what she's doing so as you say you're never asking those questions like why do we need to explain to the aliens what a question mark is yeah. and it, it and it's yeah. it's 
so important to un- understanding her process and kind of getting the audience on board early with with that process i think and it and it works perfectly um and i i I use this. I use this uh, this comparison quite a lot, and it's it's unfair to um, to uh, Sandra Bullock, but she's the one I always call out. I, I compare Amy Adams's character in this to someone like Sandra Bullock in Gravity, where at no point in that movie did I buy her as an astronaut because she just she she, she, she <laughs> yeah. just doesn't. It, partially because of the writing, partially maybe just because she wasn't quite right for the role, but. Mm-hmm. I was I was complete. My immersion was always broken in that movie by seeing her as a national because she just doesn't didn't seem right for it. Whereas in this, Amy Adams, I'm like, yep, that's a linguistics expert right there. She knows exactly what she's talking about because there are all these scenes where they establish it. Um, yeah, that makes a hundred percent sense yeah. to me that you put it like that. <laughs> Amy, at no point in this movie did I fear that Amy Adams was going to project herself across the void of space with a fucking fire extinguisher. Let's put it that way. Um, Although we will get into the spoilers, there are certain aspects of how this film plays out which could be compared to my biggest problem with uh, Gravity, I suppose. But they did it better in this. Uh, yeah. Well. Okay. We'll 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 get back to that because that that'll be interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, just to briefly return to it as well, the the non linear oh, I can't say it now. Non linear orthography. Um, the the idea of uh, their script being essentially mm-hmm. taking both hands and starting a sentence at the end and beginning at the same time and joining yeah. in the middle is such a cool concept. I'm sure it exists um, already, but it's the first I'd ever heard of it, and uh, it's it's. It's great to cut, to really hammer home how alien this script is uh, to ours. Yeah. Um, and of course, talking about the aliens, the next thing we need to speak about briefly, I think, is um, how cool the the shell ship design is. Um, oh yeah. From the, the 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 way it's shot externally, it's ba- apparently it's based on the asteroid uh, fifteen Eunomia, which is like a very big asteroid near Mars. Um, Oh. Is is very very striking, and uh, you've kind of already touched on it already. But the way that Villeneuve shoots the interior and exterior of the ship with the kind of rocky texture, uh, it's yep. the production design. To be honest, I don't think this is ever going to happen because I can't see him working with Disney. But it made me wish that Denis Villeneuve would make an Alien movie at some point because it's <laughs> he has that ship production uh and 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 method of shooting it to make it seem ominous and huge which mm-hmm. just it, it resonated with me so so well yeah like the act yeah the design of it was fantastic i, I and also because of the, the way this film was done like there was very little access into the ship we'll say there's a particular like greeting room they were allowed yeah. to be in and then a little bit later we get her in the smoky place too um when we get into spoilers we'll talk about that a little bit more too but i think personally like i like the mystery around it like mm. there's a lot of mystery to this ship like i don't I, this this type of uh, alien the heptapod i i i don't necessarily it's it's an interesting one it skirts the fine line sometimes you see you see films where you you look at the aliens you look at the ship and you think how the hell did they build that <laughs> yeah. but and, and i get a little bit of that i suppose but but not not overly overly a huge amount um i think they skirted a nice line of mystery where it's like we don't really know much about them we know we know what we know from them based on what they want us to know from them a bit like the characters actually yeah well i mean i suppose the implication is isn't necessarily that they even built it you know they could be part of you know some interstellar confederation and they have other other (laughs) other types of aliens that are you know they're engineers and they're builders it's it's 
they oh yeah it could could be like 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 a like a colony of bees like they have different they have yeah, different jobs you know, or they, like, you know I mean? they leave so much on the table and and you have mentioned it already but i think it bears repeating the kind of mind bending initial shots as they enter the ship for the first time with the glow tube mm-hmm. that they crack and throw and the gravity changes as it goes up and it like lands on the um lands on the floor it's very understated in how it's presented but it's it works mm-hmm. brilliantly to kind of really throw the audience off balance as well uh which yeah. i loved um I think the last thing I wanted to mention and get your thoughts on just before we go into spoilers was um, the score. But mm-hmm. well, there's, so there's actually kind of two two musicians who worked on this. Uh, Johan Janssen did the majority of the score, um, and he'd worked with Villeneuve on Sicario prior to this. And I think his kind of atmospheric droning stuff is amazing in this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all they also use in the opening and the closing because the movie is supposed to mirror the heptopods language and kind of starts and finishes the same way um uses a pre-existing piece of music by max richter called on the nature of daylight but i think both are amazing to be honest it's a great music musical film okay so there's something i want to say about the score which is spoilers but before we go into that um i think i i think that we've talked before about the sort of the inception effect on blockbusters after it came out and like the droning the sort of style of the Hans Zimmer score for that and I think this it is present here but it doesn't feel like mimicry it doesn't feel like they're they're sort of just stealing from a different uh, uh, composer it actually does feel like it fits the film very very well I don't think it's a it's not a score that I would sit and listen to it's not like one mm-hmm. of those scores but it's a score that's perfectly molded to the film that it's in do you know what I mean yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's more atmospheric than kind of yeah. orchestral. Um, it's not the star. No, no, absolutely not. But but it's um, I think it works perfectly mm-hmm. to support um, support like what's actually going on on the screen. And I think to be honest, if there's something that you want to say that's kind of spoilery, I think we can probably get into spoilers now because everything okay. else I've got that I wanted to ask you sits very comfortably in spoiler territory uh so this okay. is your warning if you have not yet seen arrival to tune this out because we're going to talk some spoilers so and anthony what what was the spoilerific thing you wanted to discuss okay uh with, with the fear of um there is a fear here of appearing like quite ignorant and maybe being a bit bigoted but i'm not trying to be okay <laughs> tell t- tell me if this is okay i don't know am i allowed to say that i, I love the tombra of old asian men's voices I'm trying to think. Oh, you're talking about Shang. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, sure. Yeah. So you know how you know like the, the actual like the sort of deep velvety nature of some some old Asian men's voices. Yes. Right. So I the reason why I mention this is because the score had tones of Inception to me, and at the end, whenever you know she's speaking to Shang, is it just Shang? Is it Shang? It's yeah. General Shang. But I mean, the, the actor's name yeah. is Taimar, um, and he he, okay, he does so- have a lovely voice. Yeah, so when she's talk when she's talking to the general, and he's like sort of talking to her about things that they've done in the past, and saying, you know, my my private phone call, the 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 natural uh, sort of timbre, the like the sort of low, like really lovely pitch of his voice, really reminded me of Saito Ken Watanabe in in Inception when he's saying, "Let's be young men again," and like the the, the score behind him and everything. I just it took me back to Inception, and I just love that little moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it is a very emotive moment in and of itself and certainly i think the, the score helps and 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 the they've chosen in both in both cases i think they've chosen very very seasoned and uh and and uh talented actors to deliver those lines um mm-hmm. and you know i think it says a lot about about time that the general shang really doesn't get 
any screen time at all until the very end yeah. of the movie and uh he's still able to deliver a a compelling performance in that scene despite us knowing basically nothing um about him so i mean i've just realized sorry i've just realized something before we go off get general chang he must have been named after the author of the original story 100 oh well i mean shang rather than shang but i mean it could be i don't know i I don't actually know what what uh what that character's name was or whether he oh yeah maybe maybe it actually is directly from the book but yeah yeah but um so okay talking well let's stay on him for a second because there was a there's an interesting little kind of tidbit of knowledge oh, that i yeah, that yeah. i they found out so um oh i think i know this tidbit you probably yeah. do yeah so um um eric heiser um oh, yeah. has basically like openly said what um uh i've got a name louise banks uh says to shang at the end of the movie mm-hmm. um do you do you know what what they it was that he said to him have you looked this up as well well, I've seen a video. There's a video where the uh, where the the writer of this film uh, uh, explained the process of coming about com- that line coming about. Like, mm. I, I'm, it seems it looks like you've done your research. So, if you wanted to tell the story, uh, you can tell it. So, uh, essentially, um, it was never actually supposed to originally be excluded. It was supposed to be subtitled. Uh, Villeneuve himself opted not to subtitle it. I guess to preserve kind of a, a sense of mystery of language. But but the, the Shang's wife's last words are what. Um, uh, what Louise Banks uh, said to him, and it's uh, in war there are no winners, only widows, uh, which mm-hmm. is, I don't think it necessarily reveals anything uh, massively uh, about either character, but it's it's interesting that it was chosen to be <laughs> to be obfuscated in that way. Well, yeah, like the, the the funny, like I'm I'm sure you're aware of this, but the funny backstory for me about that whole thing was is that Denny Villeneuve originally in the script it had no writing, like there was nothing there. The the writer didn't include any any line because it wasn't supposed to be audible. And Denny Villeneuve like rang him up and said, "Here, uh, I I want to know what 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 she said. What did she say to him?" Mm. And then like and then he said, "Right, okay. So how long have I got to come up with this line? Because this is like the line that saves the world." He goes, "We're filming it tomorrow." <laughs> so he had to like sit around all night trying to come up with a line that they could say uh, to do this. And then whenever he went, to, then he finally did it. He came up with that in in war there are no winners, only widows. And he wrote he, he wrote it down. And he gave it he gave it to uh, he gave it to Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve was like brilliant, brilliant. And then when he was watching it at the at the the premiere. There was no subtitle, and he was like, "Well, I stayed up all night, like trying to come up that's, with the perfect line." That's what you get when you work with auteurs; they reserve the right to be like, "Listen, you did all this work. We're not going to bother including it. It could have just been gibberish that you that you said there. It doesn't matter." Um, that's yeah, that is uh, that is interesting. But I mean, you know, he got his he got his props in other parts of the of, yeah. the, of the movie. I think so. I, I mean, not least. I will say it's nice to see that uh, that Eric Heisera, uh, Heisera uh, predicted the radicalization of parts of the American armed forces by right wing lunatics in the media, <laughs> which that was one hundred percent happens in this movie. I didn't remember that. Like, I remember they did it, but I didn't remember the little scene with them watching the the guy yeah, on, the guy like the, on YouTube the, the or whatever. Glenn, Glenn Beck analog on the yeah. radio saying we need yeah. to give him a show of force, and the army guys being like, "Yeah, that seems like a good idea." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, did, that, yeah. did that bit I, work I, for yeah. you? I, I kind of, I, it did for me, but it was, it was pushing the boundaries of what I was prepared to accept because it just, it feels like everyone would. I, I feel like in this situation, everyone would have the opposite problem where everyone's so worried about doing the wrong thing that no one actually does anything. Hmm. I, I personally, yes, I know what you mean, and I think, I, I actually didn't mind it. Having said that, it's a weird. It's a weird line to skirt because does that happen in real life 
not necessarily... Yes, it does, is the answer. Yes, it does. I'm sure there's people who are... You know, especially in the last 20 years, the Middle East comes to mind where there's, there's soldiers over there acting a certain way because they've been radicalized, not through the, their own U.S. Army system, but through other means. I'm sure there are that that happens. Have, do I have any evidence for that? No. But I think that it, it was a brave choice, in my opinion, for Denis Villeneuve to put that in because you're going to have... That's automatically, right, has people who sort of are defenders of people like Glenn Beck and things, it has them all of a sudden have a bone to pick with the film. Yeah. Interestingly, it seems that it seems that they've actually really avoided any of that criticism. Although I maybe would have to go back to 2016 and read some articles. But it, it seems like they avoided the criticism. I think in today's climate, well, 2016, come on, that was actually the year that Trump got elected. So yeah. it was pretty much the same. But I, if this film came out now, I can just imagine all those talking heads coming out and saying... This is not the same, you know. It's it's like whenever a re when it's like whenever a real shooting happens, and they literally have a manifesto from the person who does the shooting saying, "I listen to these people, these people, and these people, and I'm doing what they told me to do." And those people come out and say, "What are you talking about?" Like, yeah, I think that it's interesting that this film escaped any of that online. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was even in 2016 it feels like a simpler time although maybe that's rose-tinted glasses and, and i will i it's worth pointing out that this movie does a little bit of give and take because even something that's like a prestige film about the importance of communication can't resist the hollywood trope of making russia and china the bad guys <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, which is you know it, it it's a bit of a throwaway thing it doesn't bother me that much but it is quite funny in a movie that's literally the entire thing is about how we should be talking to each other and not and not you know operating through fear um, and, and knee-jerk reactions. Uh, yes, but I will also say, I, I just will also say, that um, Russia and China re- like re- removed themselves from the conversation because they got afraid of what was going to happen. Mm. And then uh, China learns something new and then requests a meeting with the UN to discuss it, right? And then American troops are the ones who bomb their their one. So in my mind, I'm like, Hmm, kind of what what like they were re- they were removing themselves from the situation because of it, it kind of came true you well know? yeah like absolutely this- <laughs> did. Um, humans can't be trusted not to pick the worst possible option i guess um yeah i, I, I will I, I just wanted to draw attention actually to one talking about the the, the this kind of like underlying theme of the, you know the nature of communication and language there's there's one particular piece of dialogue uh, from uh, dr banks that i love in this movie where um it's when the offer weapon uh, line initially comes up so um, as, a, as a brief reminder about halfway through the film uh, Louise Banks is being pressured to ask the big question you know what is your intention on earth and she's kind of pushing back saying oh well, you know we're not quite there yet we don't have the sort of context for the language to fully understand their response and they don't have yeah. the full, they don't have the context to necessarily fully understand the question uh, she asks mm-hmm. the question and gets back off a weapon or off a tool, and there's lots of debate about what that actually means. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's revealed that China has had similar conversations and got similar answers, but it's revealed that they are having a conversation uh, with the aliens, with the Hepswads, through a through chess Mojang. game. Um, or Sorry, yeah, no, through, through Mojang, Mojang rather. Mojang. Not, um, but yeah. she compares it to having a conversation through chess um, mm-hmm. and how that recontextualizes the entire conversation, how everything then exists uh, in terms of opposition and victory and defeat. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just such a great moment to really l- analyze not just what we say, but the context in which we say it. Uh, and and, yeah. I, and I, I just, I'd forgotten that piece of dialogue was even in the movie, but I, I loved it so much. 
there's some of the greatest pieces of dialogue in this film are when they go on those little sort of example like sort of uh, uh little analogies like i like even though it's not true i like the kangaroo one as yeah, well that's where <laughs> Yeah, where she where she says to the Aborigines whenever like the the English said to the Aborigines when they showed up in Australia, like what's that called? And uh, they said kangaroo, uh, you know. But it's it's not actually kangaroo. It just means I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And then they like it, it's sort of the general's like, okay, I'll understand. That's great. And then they leave the room. And then she says, not true, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I love, it. but it proves the point because even though it's not yeah. true, like you know, they, without without like the you know the general having the knowledge of that himself, it, it might as well be true. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. There's loads of great writing like that in this, um, and I think we, we're gonna have to deal with. Uh, the elephant in the room now, which is of course the big twist. We've been putting it off, we've been putting it off for far too long. Um, it's what the it's what the people Weesh. want. What the people want is the twist discussion. Um, mm-hmm. I personally love the kind of flashbacks to her daughter's life that it turns out haven't even happened yet because she has begun mm. to experience time non-linearly. Um, yeah. Did you? You're you're more attuned to spotting where time travel or i guess in this case kind of time perception works and where it doesn't work did this did this work for you on a second viewing uh yes it did and i think that the um there's interest there's there's nuance there's new there is nuance there i will say though um if you genuinely believe that she didn't actually realize things until uh like you know it's sort of put across like when she's talking to shang um that he gives the number, right? And then, like, back in the past, she's like, ding! Oh, my God, you know? Um, I, If you believe that she, she didn't know that, have that knowledge until that moment, I think it's a, it's a subtle line between the human memory and thinking that it's not consistent. I think the idea is that she was remembering uh, the future. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that's sort of the way it's put across to me. And because it's that, because it's the idea of remembering the future, um, it, it can't really be criticized. It's, it's, it is more in the, in the, in the poetic realm. I think as well, the moment which people could maybe have an issue with is when she's talking to Shang in the future. And he says, um, he's talking to her and says, uh, you know, you rang me and she is completely dumbfounded. Doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm. That's the only part where you could say, okay, maybe that was a little lazy writing because she would remember it at that point. Um, unless they are properly going for, it's not just that she ex- she can see time, it's that she experiences time all at the same time. That Now that takes it into a whole different co- co- complex realm. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the fact that she asked that question to me says that she doesn't experience time linearly either. So she these things have already happened but they also haven't happened at the same time and therefore she she gets that knowledge at the moment that she requires that knowledge i i i actually do think there's a part of it where it is like you said memory so she is rem- mm-hmm. she is it, it's it's although her entire life has already happened in the the sense of how she mm-hmm. how time affects her um she doesn't nec- she can't necessarily recall every single moment of that life mm-hmm. uh just like you know i can't recall everything that's ever happened to me in in my past as i perceive it i think that's kind of what they're going for uh with that um but i i, I think that's the only moment really 
for, for, for me at least in the movie where they kind of get into the nitty gritty of how this time travel yeah. works because the rest of it is purely used to inform the emo- uh, the emotion behind the scenes where she is recalling the life of her daughter mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I think that's really compounded by the fact that the moment that she touches Abbott um, Abbott's tentacle through the through the interview room window. Her first thought is of her un- at that point unborn daughter in this kind of like warm flash forward. It's very kind of orange. Mm. It's almost like you know, shot inside the womb or something like that. Um, and that is really what her entire story arc is about. So I, I don't I don't get hung up too much on that particular moment where she needs the phone number. Uh, yeah, exactly. If, if they're gonna if they are going for like a literal that she's experiencing time like uh all at the same time now and she can learn things in the future that influence the past fine i think that's okay like i don't think that's i think the way they did it is still sort of somewhat consistent but maybe if you were to if you were to make an arrival too and like more than her have learned the language that would throw in some real issues but as long as it's just still her and the thing is you have to remember as well is is that there's no actual like paradoxes happening really. No. Um, if it's if it's just her who has this ability, it's it's so far anyway. It's not like uh, she changed her actions. Like she she did continue and have the child still. Yeah. In fact, we know that um, Jeremy Renner got annoyed with her for, uh, for that. Uh, and that tells us that he doesn't she, have that ability. Uh, like he never learned yeah. that ability because she had to tell him what was going to happen. Well, it might actually be as well, Conrad, that she. Like like the the aliens passed on the the ability to her in sort of a way that wasn't just her learning the language. Like she had to experience this mm. as well to come to be able to understand the language. It might be that she has to do that to someone else. Like she has to somehow find a way to pass this knowledge on. Um, and it's not just about learning the language. So yeah. um, obviously she will because you know humans have to help them in three thousand years or whatever it is. But I would be interested to know even just what like the writer would think. How would she pass that knowledge on? Because it does feel like there's an experiential uh, element to it, not just learning the language. You know? Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, she she kind of had knowledge of the script prior to uh, you know that that connection with Abbott through the glass, and uh, but it was that connection which awoke her to you know a, a way in which to kind of perceive and. And comprehend this language uh, more more thoroughly than she had done before. Um, I got- sorry, I will say on. one more thing. Sorry, one more thing. For me, from the moment that that it was revealed, the twist. Okay, on a rewatch, like the whole time, obviously, I, there's no jeopardy anymore because in my mind, like the the heptapods know what's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> like they they know what's going to happen the whole time. So like. They, they, that's why they knew to push her out when the bomb was there and stuff. Yeah. So, once on a rewatch, it's it's so amazing that this is so good on a rewatch as well mm. because all the jeopardy's taken out of the story. Yes. Um, you know, you cannot watch this knowing the twist. You can't really watch it thinking that you know you'd get lost in the story and like the, there's no jeopardy anymore. But it's such a well made film that that actually I still go along. Yeah, with it. Yeah, I know. You know that that final fifteen minutes, even though you know that there can't possibly be any jeopardy because the aliens already know everything that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's still, you know, it ramps up to a pretty a pretty tense conclusion uh, despite that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the one the one thing that really changes for me, and I, I, I wonder if you feel the same way on a rewatch, is the opening and those shots of her with her daughter. Um, mm-hmm. And this, this recontextualization of that relationship where 
we know by the end of this movie and on obviously on a rewatch we know that she knows how heartbreaking the end of that relationship will be and yet mm-hmm. she still chooses to pursue it because it is the experience of the relationship rather than just how it ends that is yep. important to her and i just love the way that the the metaphor for their relationship is is supported by the the script that the aliens use this idea of endings and beginnings not being as important as the whole um it's just such a brilliant way to to uh, realize your themes in in kind of the central emotional heart of your story it's it's it is astounding writing i think yeah i also i also do think that um my own like you know when I, my reflections personally on it as well like she lived to like 10 like 8 9 10 something like that in my mind like you know what do you get 80 years in this world you yeah, know if like lucky. in the in the if you're lucky in the grand scheme of this thing 80 years and 10 years in the grand scheme of things isn't that different uh so therefore the idea of knowing and loving your 10 year old daughter or your six year old daughter however old they are and then finding out that they're going to die of cancer and then thinking i wish they never existed is is really mind-boggling to me mm. and i i don't understand the character jerry miranda's character's decision uh to, to to leave and not want to spend more time with the daughter or like i you know what i mean like i i just think that it's it's a straight it's a strange one to me because because like surely that would make you want to cherish it more you know yeah, but i i think his character has always and we haven't really mentioned him to be honest but he he is mm-hmm. he's a good character but he's kind of presented as the yin to louise banks yeah. yang like he never really although he, he he is attracted to her and i think uh you know there's a genuine emotional emotional connection between them i don't think he ever really understands her work or the importance mm-hmm. of it and as an extension of that i don't think he could ever grasp the concept that the the journey is more important than the destination in when you're talking about someone's life um he can only see mm-hmm. the the immediate future which is that he will have to deal with the same heartbreak that louise banks and her daughter will have to deal with um okay but uh, but i absolutely agree with you i think it's a place in this position i i don't think in fact, I don't actually think he would. I, I think if we like analyze his character, I don't think he would choose not to have a daughter, even though he. We find out by the end of the movie that he has said to Louise Banks that she made the wrong decision, presu- yeah. presumably in meaning pursuing a relationship with with uh, with Doctor Donnelly and and having a child together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he genuinely believes that though, because I don't think any parent would be would would. would on reflection if you found out your child was ill you would think oh, i wish we could go back and just not have the child yeah i know i know uh, the whole it, it's it's different if it's like a two-year-old child and has no nothing but chronic pain mm. like that's a different thing but when you got like a seven or eight year old who's experienced all this joy in, in life i think it's a bit strange i just want to say something before we end here conrad sure. um the writer of this uh film uh eric heisera is yes. it yeah yeah um, he's he's also attached to write the American remake of Your Name. Oh, interesting. Uh, which we watched last week. That's, uh, uh, that was not intentional, know. but that's a lovely little a lovely little link. Yeah, and interesting. Like just doing a little bit of research about this. Uh, it says here. Now I actually like this change. Now people who listen to this uh, podcast know. In terms of the Death Note remake, terrible. Like, you know, it was all right. Like you know, bog standard six out of ten. Having said that. It would have been worse if they just like completely ch- like copied 
the the Japanese version. They changed it, which made it a six out of ten. If they didn't do that, it would have been a three out of ten. Mm. They they they're making changes. Apparently, in the Your Name remake, the distributors of the original uh, Your Name Toho uh, they personally requested that the remake be seen through an American point of view, which has resulted in changes of setting. For example, Tokyo is now being Chicago, okay, and rural Japan has been changed to the Native American countryside. Oh, okay. So they're they're gonna they're gonna bring uh, the Native American a Native American character in it to to have sort of that sort of. The dichotomy between the city living and Native American countryside. Okay. I think that might be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's there's definitely uh, analogs there between uh, you know adherence to Shinto in in Japan, um, which, as I understand it, is a um, not not as marginalized as Native Americans are, but certainly not a not a, uh, a the, the the most mainstream of uh, of religious mm-hmm. um, religious beliefs. So that's really interesting. I that was not deliberate, but I look forward to seeing what they do with that because that puts me that makes me more confident than i would have been otherwise um but yeah so i I guess like overall i i think it's pretty clear from what we said how we feel about it but i i I really like this movie Uh, uh, would you say would you say the same i would actually yes i would i would say the same i i I need to watch more of denny villeneuve's stuff i do really love him as a director i love prisoners as well um i haven't seen some of others i haven't seen sicario for example when you said you love that one i thought i have to watch that now Yeah, sicario Um, is very sicario is very like actiony but i i i I, I just think denis villeneuve is such a versatile director he can do so many different styles and that's that's worth watching yeah and i think it's there's something to be said as well for um a lot a lot of big directors these days are also the writers of their own films yes it's sort of the way that Hollywood's going. Whereas I like Denis Villeneuve. I'm, I don't think he's not ever written. I think he's written some stuff, but yeah. but I but I like the fact that he's sort of a, a throwback to the old like sort of Steven Spielberg, where he'll direct so many more films because he's he just comes into a project that's already been written mm. and sort of works with it as a director solely as a director. I sort of like that sort of he's like a sort of a throwback director. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, and you know, good good example of someone who can still be an auteur, still have a very firm creative mm-hmm. vision and control over what they're delivering without necessarily needing to have a hand in creating every single part of of the movie. Yes. Um mm-hmm. right, okay. Well, that's going to do it for us here, I think, which leaves us with uh, one simple question to answer as we always do, and that is, Anthony, what's your favorite movie? This is going to be a bit of a hodgepodge answer sure. because I can't remember the name of it, but there is a documentary on Disney Plus about eating competitions. And I would I I I would I would ask you guys to go and watch it i can't remember what it's called but it won't be hard to won't be hard to find there's literally only one uh eating documentary uh, on there but it's about like uh it's a it's so funny like it's it's about the struggles of this young american fella to topple the great uh japanese eating eating master uh with the in in a hot dog competition oh what kobayashi Uh, is that is, is kobayashi in it yeah I think Kobe, uh, Kobayashi is that his name? Yeah, that's he, the guy he, he, he must used be. to be like the big, uh, the big hot dog He's eating the... guy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worth it's worth a shout because, like, to be honest with you, um, it's it sort of puts it across at the, at the start where like this guy, this Japanese guy, is like the best guy in the world, and this this underdog American is trying to beat him. But by the time the switch happens and the American guy does beat him, which isn't a spoiler because apparently he was really famous, this American guy in America for a while, when he finally does beat him. The the who you are on the side of switches is what I'll say. Okay, uh, and it's it's a really interesting uh, documentary, which I think it's worth checking out. Okay, well I just had a look for it in Google and I couldn't find it, so 
God go with you if you look for that, listener. Um, mm-hmm. My favorite movie, Sicario. Denis Villeneuve doesn't really make bad movies, but that's a great one. Um, thank you to Nancy Wyatt and Jared Iscariot for the use of our theme song. You can check out uh, other stuff from them down in the link below. And thank you to you for listening. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already. We are The Culture Cave on YouTube and the best movie podcast ever on podcasting apps. Uh, get involved in the comments. Give a share a like. It really does help. And we will see you same time, same place next week. And cut. <laughs> <laughs>